The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I am your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason, and we are back for another episode, continuing on in the theme of church history, because I have the church history PhD in front of me, who's going to help teach us some church history. Now, right. Jason, I have a passion for church history, so it's it's good that you're sharing it with us. It's probably my weaker part of... That's okay. Remembering things from seminary, so. (laughs) Maybe my strength, so I don't know. (laughs) We'll find out after this episode (laughs) how much you uh, make up of history. (laughs) Uh, But let's start off with a question for you today, and I'm going to see this question, how how much you're paying attention to things around you Uh and the the trends of today. So it's kind of a two-parter is... Do you know what ChatGPT is, and have you used it? Okay, I know what it is. It's that you know open source. I think um, AI, whatever I don't okay. know what you call it. AI. <laughs> Sounds like a good answer from you on that. <laughs> right? That's pretty technical for me. Very. Um, I but I have not used it because the concept just bothers me. <laughs> so I just don't like the idea of AI. I don't like the idea that someone could you know ask for it to write a paper for them or a sermon or whatever it might be and apparently it's able to do <laughs> something i saw i saw on twitter today someone posted a they asked for it to write a, a contemporary christian song mm-hmm. uh in in uh, who's the who's the guy oh man in the style of, and it gave the name of the person. I can't remember now who it was, and it was hilarious the way mm. it was able to do that. But so yeah. I guess you're not going to use it to write your next sermon. Um, no. no? Okay. Uh, and if you feel like I sound like it's written, <laughs> then I got even bigger issues. Well, you'd be surprised how real it feels. That uh, okay, you might just pull some of your old sermons and put them all together and create a nice one for oh, you. Oh boy, I'm just gonna promote laziness yeah. what about you have you used it <clears throat> i have and uh i played around with it okay i have it right here with me oh, on, no. my, on my phone because i like to ask questions and see what kind of answers okay and there are some helpful things that are actually you can create and not have to reinvent the wheel uh for example if you want a policy on something like create a church policy for expenses i've asked it to do okay. that and it pulls all the info creates one in 30 seconds and it's done you can just customize it. So it's able to pull so much information so quickly and present it in a very clear manner. So how do I convince it to raise salaries like on that policy? Was, how do I convince it? <laughs> That's going to be a little hard. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, it, it's fun to play around with and ask questions and see what uh, kind of information you can find. You know, one of our friends um, did ask it to uh, write an essay or something like that or, or distinguish law and gospel. That's right. Do you remember that? Yeah. And we saw that. Uh-huh. It, it was actually really yeah. good. I was impressed uh, yeah. with the way it distinguished that. Do you so, have any questions you need me to ask? Any Anything you haven't solved yet in your mind? Um, yes. What is the uh, the meaning of life? 
Let's see, let's see, see what I'm, it says. I'm, I'm curious. What's the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? This might be a good answer for your next sermon. Oh, this is a quite a long answer because it is a big question. Okay, I'm going to read you the meaning of life. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to edit this out. Okay, the meaning of life is a profound and philosophical question that has been contemplated by humans for centuries. Different peoples and cultures have offered various perspectives and interpretations on this topic. Ultimately, the meaning of life can be subjective and may vary from person to person based on their beliefs, values, and worldviews. For some, the meaning of life is tied to religious or spiritual beliefs, where they may find purpose and fulfillment through devotion to a higher power or by living in accordance with certain moral principles. Others may seek meaning through personal relationships, connections, and the pursuit of happiness, joy, and personal fulfillment. Existential philosophers have explored the question of life's meaning, suggesting that individuals may have the freedom to create their own meaning and purpose through their choices and actions. Some philosophical perspectives argue that the meaning of life is to seek knowledge, wisdom, personal growth, or to contribute to the well-being of others in society. Ultimately, the search for the meaning of life is a deeply personal and individual journey, may involve self-reflection, introspection, exploring one's values, and finding a sense of purpose that resonates with each person's unique perspectives and experiences. Wow. So... Chat GPT is a relativist. <laughs> so far, we've discovered, and uh, and and uh, kind of like a lawyer, it, it was uh, it kept using can and may. It didn't yeah. want to take a position, so that's and it it learns. Okay. So as you train the model, it learns answers and starts to conform. Interesting. So okay. so have you found the meaning of life? Did that help in your? pursuit of it 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 helped me not to seek it in ai that's good (laughs) well let's transition to uh our topic of the day and we're going to talk about church history again we're going to look at a figure this time from history that uh many people may not be familiar with maybe you've heard the name before but we're going to discuss this uh old church father Mm -hmm. who is ignatius um and so you'll help go through Ignatius. I do have one thing about Ignatius that I always think of when I think of this church father is um, Ignatius was the bishop of Antioch. That's right. So I grew up in Antioch, California, and I went to St. Ignatius Catholic Church. I was dragged there every Sunday because uh, my family used to take yep. us there, and Sunday was football day. 10 o'clock, they wanted to go to church. Oh, I'm like, football game, fun. I know. The priorities are just all wrong. So yeah. so anyway, it, I just always seen that. I'm like, oh, yeah, the, that, that church must have been plant, not planted, but created with that name, thinking of the city's name, making the connection. Yeah, but yeah. who would have known? Yeah, I mean, if you're not studying right. church history. Yeah, that's so. interesting. That is interesting. So you grew up in Antioch. I didn't realize that, mm-hmm. but Antioch, California. Not yes, to, not the Antioch. Not in Syria. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, there is another Ignatius, another important one later on in history, Ignatius of Loyola, I mm-hmm. believe is um, his name or where he comes from. But this is Ignatius of Antioch. And I just want to kind of, for our listeners and, and for our conversation, promote a, a book. It's a book that I an author that you and I have talked about before, Michael Haken, mm-hmm. a wonderful man. I know him 
personally, he's been, he was so helpful to me in, in a different, in a number mm-hmm. of different ways, but his book, it's a short little book called rediscovering the church fathers, who they were and how they shaped the church. And, uh, his first chapter is on, well, actually it's his second chapter, but the first character that he writes on is Ignatius of Antioch. Mm. And I looked at this book and I thought, you know, one of the things that our listeners probably don't have much of is a background in the church fathers or even church history. So if we could help a little bit, some really interesting characters, I think it'd be, it'd be good for all of us. And Ignatius kind of starts us out because he's one of the earliest Mm -hmm. uh, church fathers that we talk about. And he died. Think about this. He died in, um, 117 AD. Hmm. Okay. So you're talking about, uh, and I, if I, I don't remember exactly when he was born, but he would have been born during the lives of the yep. apostles. And not just that, uh, he's thought to have been, and I think this is probably historically credible. He was thought to have been a disciple under the apostle John. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that, I, that's I, a really cool thought that this guy was with discipled by one of the apostles mm. and he's you know early enough to have been he along with polycarp another mm-hmm. one uh, another martyr too we'll talk about both yeah. of these guys were martyred but so if you're thinking about church history we, we go hey the apostles the apostolic era and then some uh, some historians will say okay next comes kind of like this jewish christianity so like the earliest phases um, of Christianity, but now it's going out further and further. And then you get what are called the apostolic fathers. And that's where Ignatius comes in. So mm-hmm. it's like most scholars put it like 96 AD to about 130. So that early okay. phase. Okay. We don't have a ton of writing by these people. Uh, we do, do have letters that they had written, mm-hmm. um, which is also interesting because these guys kind of were imitating Paul yeah. and the, the, the apostles themselves, and they would write letters to different churches. Ignatius himself wrote seven letters mm. to seven churches. And if I'm not mistaken, they were the seven churches we read about in the book of Revelation. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And it kind of makes sense. He's John's yeah, disciple. Yeah. John's the one with the vision of Revelation. He's written to those churches. So um, kind of cool. I mean, think about how early they are. What didn't ignatius have that we have today yeah the bible (laughs) the bible in in the way that we have it right yeah um so what's neat about these apostolic fathers is in their letters they're they're quoting a ton of scripture a ton of old testament passages but they're also the first ones to have meditated on the letters the new testament Mm. apostolic writings as scripture and so it's a it's a whole different kind of world and you see this um i I was writing down some notes i was like it's like exciting and fresh and inspiring Mm. to read them because you know we read commentaries all the time and it's like these are people you know two thousand years later we've built upon so much other stuff these guys are early on freshly looking at scripture at at what hasn't even been codified so to speak as scripture right they know it's god's word because the apostles have written it and that's yeah. all they're doing. They're, they're getting these letters and, and reading them. And anyway, it's kind of neat. So how did he, he's known to be the bishop, right? right? Bishop of Antioch, Syria. Yeah. 
how did that that role or that form? So you have the apostles, yeah. and then you have this period of time. Now you have the early church fathers. So a structure started to become created with yeah. some of them, giving them some authority. Um, h- how did that kind of come about? Do we know it's, it's from history? Good, good question. <clears throat> and we we don't have a clear line. Okay. That oh, we know it went from this to that, and here's why. The reality is, I mean, look how early Ignatius is, and he was either the second or third bishop of Antioch. Oh, interesting. So it's already there, which now bishop, for those who are listening, bishop, elder, overseer, these are all Mm -hmm. synonymous in scripture. There were two offices that we can see in scripture, elder and deacon or bishop and deacon. but, But by this time, and we're talking 50 years after the apostles, you already have a situation that Bishop is becoming kind of a different office and Ignatius is part of that. And I think to be honest, part of that is because of false teaching that was arising Hmm. and their best defense. And Ignatius does this. Ignatius kind of is like, Hey, the best thing you could do is stick to that Bishop that God has called to help and oversee and protect. And don't listen to all these little folks that are developing, popping up here and there. It was a defensive mechanism, hmm. you know, uh, in my, in my kind of reading, it seems that way, but you know, a, a few things though, some examples, by the way, of apostolic fathers would be Clement of Rome, mm-hmm. Polycarp, Ignatius. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the big ones. Um, like I said, he died AD 117 or 11780. A big thing for Ignatius was this idea of martyrdom. Hmm. So at, at some point, persecution had come in and the early church witnesses right all sorts of things from Nero and on and you get yeah. all you know Trajan is the one that will actually sentence Ignatius so Emperor Trajan sentences Ignatius to death to be executed but for for Ignatius the idea of martyrdom which today we understand is someone who kind of dies for the faith yeah that was a big thing for him but the word martyr you know uh, Roger from studying Greek mm-hmm. martyr just means witness mm-hmm. and so this idea that to be a witness for Christ and the reality of what Christ has accomplished for us he he had to be willing to go to his death but that sounds like scripture take up your cross and follow yeah. me um, so yeah I thought that was that's something we'll, we'll talk more about martyrdom um in a, in a little bit, but so that's a big thing for him. Yeah. What, what's he uh, primarily known for in, in, in his teachings? Good question. So the, the two kind of things that I always remember about Ignatius, and again, I'm not an Ignatius scholar, nor am I an early church scholar. Yeah. <laughs> that's not my area. <laughs> um, but the things that stand out always with Ignatius are the martyrdom. And okay. we'll talk about how that, how his life ended. Um, but also the other thing that, that stands out about him is this idea of unity in the church and unity around the bishop. Mm. So his understanding of the church was attach yourself to a bishop. The bishop is the unity of the church. The bishops uniting themselves with other bishops, but also you as a person in the church, just make sure you attach yourself to your bishop. The bishop has to be there to marry. Otherwise, it's not in in Christ or in the Lord marriage. The bishop has to be there to be the one to give the sacraments. Otherwise, hmm. it's it doesn't count. 
I mean, you really get some of that kind of Roman Catholic thinking almost developing early on. Is it any different than how it plays out even today in, in some churches where you have that kind of authority figure? They may not call themselves a bishop, but, yeah. but it's attached or it's built around one person or a personality, especially if you're in a smaller congregation, you don't have many pastors or plurality of elders that can be built around, you know, this is the person you're following. Yeah. What's that? That's like a celebrity pastor kind of yeah. situation. Yeah. What I think is different is today it's more for the pastor himself <laughs> than, than for the people. Than for the people. <laughs> Ignatius was really concerned for the mm. people. And he knew that there were these false teachers out there and they're teaching things and he's saying, well, what's the best defense? Hey, the guys that have been called by God attached to them, let, let them defend you and protect you. Mm. Now, again, I'm not saying it was right of him to advance that, but those are kind of the two things I remember about him. But here's something I was reading recently, getting ready for this podcast. He actually had a, a, a view of God that would have been kind of early Trinitarianism clearly written about Hmm. so everyone always says oh the trinity was only developed in the fourth century nicaea no that's not true we the scriptures teach it right and ignatius already in his Hmm. writings you see him say god is one and god is three oh wow now he doesn't go in and try and explain all the details and he by the way same with christology he has writing that advocates jesus is truly god jesus is truly human So all this talk about, oh, that didn't come until Chalcedon or what? No, no. Those who knew the scriptures, it's just, it's part of biblical Christianity. And if he was around during the time of the actual apostles and and that era, that was, yeah, something that was was taught. It wasn't something people are thinking hundreds of years later trying to back out. You have really eyewitnesses. Exactly. And, and yeah, so we, we should be very confident that the scriptures do teach the Trinity. They do teach the dual natures of Christ just because we didn't have the technical language until the fourth and maybe fifth century for some things yeah. doesn't mean it wasn't taught. Right. So those are a couple things that were interesting about him. Um, he's the first person to use the term Catholic church. Not about the Roman Catholic <laughs> yes, Church, yes. but about the Universal, universal. Church. Uh, yeah. He was big on that. He wanted unity for all of the body of believers around the world, wherever they were, which I love about him. I mean, I think that's yeah. so important. Um, he, he focused on the Lord's Supper as a central act of worship hmm. uh, because the gospel's presented there and our unity is presented there. Yeah. So he was very big on the Lord's Supper. He talked about Christ being present in the Lord's Supper. Okay. But he doesn't explain that, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we don't know. Did he believe in transubstantiation? Well, probably not, I'm going to say, but that's because I'm a Protestant. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I just think there's there's so much. The the early church fathers, they're reflecting on this, this, the, the scriptures as they're reading it and all these themes that we end up trying to clarify later on in church history yeah. were already there. So so you don't have the scriptures being distributed. They're no. not around very much. Not altogether. Not right? altogether. Yeah. And you have 
these main figures kind of leading these congregations. So in a sense, it makes sense that they're the ones to attach themselves to. They're the ones to help protect yep. and to, uh, you know, look over the doctrine because it's not in the hands of all yeah. to see. Um, Think about Ephesians 4. You know, those who are ministering the word apostles, prophets, mm-hmm. evangelists, pastors, teachers who equip the saints, right? So yeah. I think that mentality was what was going on in, in for, for, for Ignatius. You know, those are the ones called to minister the word. Go stick to them. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, some, oh, go ahead. What you going to ask? Oh, no, no. Go ahead. I was just say it's the other thing for Ignatius that he's known for is false uh, uh, fighting against false teaching. Okay. And so from what I can tell, he's one of the first ones to kind of stand against heresy and specifically, at least somewhere I was reading that the first Christian heresy <laughs> was this concept of docetism. Mm-hmm. And docetism has to do with it, the word dokeo has to do with it seems something seems a certain way. They said Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He only appeared that way. He didn't really suffer. He only appeared to suffer. He didn't go to the cross truly physically. He only appeared to do that. And the reason was this is some this is connected to kind of the Gnosticism of the day. Mm. The spirit is good. The flesh is bad. Yeah. How could a perfect spirit suffer? How could a perfect spirit take on flesh? How could, it, you know, those concepts kind of coming together. I think first John addresses some of that, doesn't he? Yeah. If you don't believe that Jesus has come in, in the, the flesh, flesh. right? Um, yeah. But theologically, you know, concluding from what it actually means that he was fully God and fully man have implications for understanding salvation. Salvation, yeah. Right, yeah. and him being a sacrifice. So I, I wonder, did they even think that that bringing that to a conclusion or was it just this thought of, okay, here's another theory of, of, of Christ, of who he really was, that we want to exalt him as a divine by taking away his humanity, not realizing that taking away his humanity takes away him being his work. Yeah. His work on the cross. So absolutely. I, I, I don't think they understood the, the ones that followed Gnosticism. Of course, they didn't understand the work of atonement. They didn't see it as this salvific work. I think they still had this, this syncretism with other aspects mm. of Gnosticism where they were trying to be free from the body. That's salvation in a sense. So I haven't done a lot of work in Docetism, so I'm not sure, but that would be my guess is they didn't have the same view of salvation that we have. And so it didn't matter that Jesus only appeared to be on the cross. And Paul didn't really address this in any of his epistles. It seems that there were the Gnostics and other heresies uh, with the gospel. But this specifically, unless I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen in the New Testament you know, addressed. New Testament scholars used to think there was more Gnosticism being attacked or addressed by Paul and, and yeah. the other gospel. I mean, uh, New Testament writers. I think more current folks don't think that, that there was maybe a proto early early Gnosticism, but it wasn't full blown Gnosticism. Okay. So maybe it's just too. It's later than than when they were writing. Yeah, and it did seem like a lot of the heresies were based on the works too adding the works to salvation and gaining righteousness by works, not, not necessarily on the person of Christ. It was, you know, I'm thinking the Galatians heresy right. and how Paul was addressing that. 
yeah. of another gospel. Okay, you got to come back under the law. Now you got to fulfill the law because of maybe the Jewish influence yep. um, rather than a little further in history. And now new heresies are coming up. So heresy and false teaching wasn't new to the New Testament and just continued on even in the early church in different ways, comes in waves. And Oh, yeah. And and this docetism, I mean, it's got its form today, Christian yeah. science. Yeah. It fits kind of that docetic worldview. Um, it's, it, everything's an illusion rather than truth and reality. Your suffering, your sickness, that's just an illusion. It's not real. Well, for Ignatius... The death and resurrection are not illusions. Yeah. They, they are the most important things. Yeah, I read something. I was just looking up a little bit on, on Ignatius, yeah. and I read something that he had, had written against someone who was arguing for docetism. Mm. And, and it just reminded me when you were talking yeah. about the, the, uh, him dying on the cross and the resurrection. This is what he said. He said... Um, Ignatius uh, refers to his opponents. He refers to them as unbelievers who maintained that Christ only seemed to suffer as they themselves only seem to be Christians. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love that. He, that's excellent. He, uh, he has, he has some wit. I was reading yeah. a few other things by him too. Yeah. I love it. Well, speaking of his wit. So this idea of martyrdom, huge for mm. Ignatius and he wants to imitate Christ. This is his thing. It's kind of okay. like Mark eight, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is right after Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross and die. Peter's like, no, don't go. You're not going to go like you're, you're just foolish. Don't say those things. He rebukes Jesus. Right. And she's like, you don't understand yeah. the road to glory is paved with suffering. And Ignatius takes that to heart. So he wants to imitate him. He wants to take up his cross and as a matter of fact, as he's been sentenced to death, he's on his way to Rome. He's stopping in different places, meeting mm. with local Christians. He's writing these letters to the seven churches. And as he's getting closer to Rome, he's worried, not about going to his death, mm. but he's worried that Roman Christians are going to try and stop him from going <laughs> to the death. That's interesting. He's afraid they're going to intercede uh. and they're going to try to stop it from happening. And so... He says to them, he writes to them, and he says, just pray that I'll remain faithful. Do not rob me of this. He says this. He writes something like this. He says, uh, obviously, in English translation, if you remain silent about me, I shall become a word of God. But if you allow yourselves to be swayed by love in which you hold my flesh, I shall again be no more than a human voice. Wow. So his thought is, Okay, if I go and I die for this gospel, yeah. people are going to see how confident we are in it. They're going to know mm -hmm. that we trust these promises, and it's going to be a greater witness for Christ and his gospel than if we don't, than if I don't die, than if mm -hmm. I'm saved or try to get rescued from my death, as though I don't believe. Yeah. Right? So his big <clears throat> themes were imitation and renunciation. I renounce mm. this life, the things of this world. I imitate Christ. And that way I get to be a witness. Um, someone wrote, I don't know who it was, one of these church fathers, that the blood of the martyrs is uh, kind of the living witness or is a witness. Yeah. So 
Yeah, that was big on on Ignatius' minds. We don't have a lot about him. Yeah, I was going to ask, do we know much about him, you know, Mary, children? We we know that about some others, but... We have very little about him. We don't even know how he actually died. We, we uh, just... Some, now, there are some versions, yeah. like there's a... There's one particular historical document that seems to say that he was, um, you know, fed to the beast or whatever they would do at that time. But we don't actually know. We don't have necessarily a lot of credible evidence mm. for that. We do know that I think it was Polycarp kind of writes about him saying that he did die. Like we, we know he did was executed, but we don't know how. We don't know a lot of those details. Um, but we know that he stood firm. Uh, we know that uh, he had written against these heresies and those types of things. We know some of these views, and it's just exciting to think back. This is one of the earliest yeah. post-apostolic guys, Ignatius of Antioch, who happened to um, live and die for the glory of God and, and be an example to us. Uh, some of his views we could agree with, <laughs> some we probably don't, yeah. um, but he was a believer trying to imitate and follow the Savior. And that was that was exciting. He was encouraging Polycarp, who also ended up being uh, uh, martyred, to stay stand firm and and don't hold back and uh, trust the Lord. We believe these promises. So, would you say that's the takeaway from his life for us today? And thinking about how we have a you know a different context, life is very different than it was back then, but that same truth to imitate. Yeah, for me, that's the big take home, mm-hmm. right? Faith, he wanted to be faithful in life and in death. So he's faithful in life by being faithful to the word, fighting against the false teachers, making sure that he emphasized mm. the unity of the body and who Christ is, right? In death, though, he was faithful. He didn't care that the commitment to Christ in life led to his death, right? To me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Yeah. He's not an apostle, but he believed it. Mm. And he lived it. That's cool for us because, look, sometimes people go, oh, that's Paul, right? When Paul, we read Paul saying such, you know, mm. those types, well, oh, that's just Paul. No, we have the very same Holy Spirit who dwelt in Paul, who's dwelt, who dwelt in Ignatius, dwells in us. The same call and conviction we are to have too. Yeah. So I guess you're not taking away that we should call you bishop? Bishop, overseer, yeah. Okay. Kiss the ring every time I come by. <laughs> no. stand at the door. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, it's a great summary of his life um, and, and how we can uh, think about it for our lives today. Is there, is there any last thought or detail of his life you want to bring out as we uh, close our, our topic on Ignatius? Just, just his desire to imitate Christ. Mm. Uh, we can never atone for our own sins or it's not, you know, it's not that kind of imitation. Yeah. Somehow we think we're going to be saving, saving anyone or ourselves through our imitation of Christ, but a disciple imitates the master. Hmm. And I, I love that that was his passion, just like Paul's and uh, should be ours. That's great. Well, we hope you, you enjoyed this episode uh, looking at a early church father, and we'll continue this series uh, periodically and look at other church fathers and how we can uh, think about their impact back then and for our lives today. If you have any questions, comments, topics you want us to cover in the future, reach out to us, feedback at rodandstaff.org, and we'd love to hear from you, and we hope that you'll join us next time.
If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.